have this chapter, and then we have uh, chapter 28 to go, and then we're on to the book of Romans. But this morning, we're in Acts chapter 27, and again, the title of this morning's message is Through the Storm. Through the Storm. Let's begin by reading. I'm going to read uh, the first couple verses, and then we're going to shoot down to verses 9 through 12. So verse 1 of Acts chapter 27 says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Let's go down to verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because a harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea, From there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Oh, Father, as we take a look at uh, this chapter, Lord, and the events that are covered in this chapter, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would see the, the principles, Lord, that should guide us through the storm as we put our trust in you, knowing, understanding, clinging to, walking on. Lord, knowing that with you, the one who never fails us, Lord, we can make it through any storm. There's nothing that's impossible for you. We just need to trust in your word and we need to walk it out. And so, Father, I pray that you would increase our faith That, Lord, you would teach us these principles, that we would interpret your word correctly and apply it accurately. And so we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. All right. You know, there are times when regardless of what we personally desire, And even against our own counsel and without the power to change or influence what others do, others bring us into storms in what oftentimes seem impossible to get through. We're just pulled into those storms. This is what we have here. Paul had, had nothing to do with the storm of going into it, and yet we see how it is that he's brought into it. Run into the storm, a very real storm. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. These are some disciples that were in the boat with Jesus. Think about this. This was with Christ. As Jesus told them that they were to set out in the boat, cast off all the lines, pull up the anchor, and let's go across to the other side. So, In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus speaking, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, this is a, just in and of itself, those verses, I love those verses because it reminds me that in the storm, we ought to always have faith in the Lord. Nothing moves him. Nothing is surprising to him. Nothing shocks him. He knows all things and he's with us wherever we go, even through the storm. 
Remember that he was asleep on the cushion on the stern of the ship, meaning the, the part that's on the, the, the back part of the ship. There's the bow and then there's the stern. And he was asleep. And yet the disciples were filled with fear. But nothing shook him. Nothing really even roused him from sleep. Even though the world around him was breaking apart. For Jesus, he was asleep. He was unmoved. And so it was that very same character and perspective that he expected his disciples to exhibit. He told them, we're going to the other side. That's all they needed to know. What we need to learn in life is that we must not despair of life. It's not a suggestion. It's not um, something that is um, motivating you know, I'm glad you said that to me because that's really, that's reassuring. Well, it has nothing to do with what I said. It's God's promise. It's his command as we're in Christ. Do not despair of life. In other words, don't lose hope. Knowing that God's word tells us that we will not be crushed, although afflicted in every way. We will not be forsaken although the world around, around us persecutes us. And we will not be destroyed, even though we are struck down. John down 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, and you can read through all of that. When God tells us that we are going to the other side, you can be sure we will get to the other side. When God says it, it's done. That's it, Period. As I heard it somewhere, I believe on Mandalorian, I have spoken. How, how often do you lose hope? You know, you lose hope when you begin to fear. If there's a little despondency there, it's because you have the wrong perspective. Evidence of fear is worry, anxiety, anger, even bitterness, doubt, anguish, disheartening, and despondency. When we are in the middle of a storm, we need to remember God's word. That's why it's important to um, memorize it, to read it, to meditate on it, to stand on it, to live it out, to apply it to our lives. It's not enough to know it. You have to know it and know how to apply it. Because it is real and it is certain. What he says is what is, and it would do us good to demonstrate a simple, childlike faith. You know, when your, your kids are in trouble, when they're in fear, where do they run? They should be running to mom and dad. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be running to the Father. We're filled with fear. We run to him immediately. Because if he said again, we're going to the other side, then he'll get us through the storm. And we'll arrive on the shore he told us we would land on. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, No faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs through adversity. Tested faith brings experience. You would never have believed your own weakness had you not heeded to pass through trials. And you would never have known God's strength had his strength not been needed to carry you through. Close quote. Have you experienced that kind of strength that comes only from God? It's that which increases your faith and your strength in Him, your confidence in Him, your trust in Him. Listen, God doesn't always calm the waters. Sometimes we ask Him to deliver us from our trials, to take us out of them. He, he, he doesn't promise that. He does promise to get you through them. But he is with you, and he stands at the helm to get you through the storm. He promised to always be with you, and he is. Well, it was time for Paul to set sail for Rome. After having been in Caesarea for a little over two years under the rule of Felix and then Festus, and after having witness of Jesus Christ to Jews, Gentiles, and all of the governing ruling authorities, in that area. People came, remember, from Jerusalem, from all over, 
King Agrippa, Bernice, uh, all the military officials, they were all there. He witnessed all of them. They all heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in adversity, God has a work for his people, you and I, through the troubles that you're going through, through tribulation, through just extreme, overwhelming situations. God is desiring to work through that. Paul is an example of that. We are to fulfill whatever it is that he wants to accomplish through us in those situations. And then from there, he can move us on to the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. We'll be better for having gone through it with God and trusting in him than if we never trusted in him. We'll have to repeat in some way, shape, or form the lesson so that we finally grow up and trust in the Lord and therefore are ready for the next whatever situation or to comfort others with the same comfort by which God has comforted us with. Paul is about to embark on a journey over open water. And uh, he will get to his destination, but not without enduring slow sailing, unheeded warnings, facing the fears of others, and even enduring a shipwreck. Always remember, faith steadies the man in the storm and gets him through the storm. I'm going to say that again. Because if you're up and down... If you're not steady, then this is what you need. You need a good dose of of faith in the Lord. Faith steadies the man in the storm and gets him through the storm to the glory of God. So difficult waters, a warning unheeded is what we see in the first 12 verses. Again, let's start at the top, verse 1 of chapter 27, which says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and other and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of Andromedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther... We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was, uh, near which was the city of Lacia. So here we have an account of the Apostle Paul as they um, left the port in Caesarea and were traveling across the sea below the island of Crete and toward Italy toward Rome, slow and difficult waters. You know, when there's slow and difficult waters and you're out at sea and you're not moving along at a normal clip, you ought to be paying attention to the currents, the wind, and to basically the elements. We ought to be paying attention. It was decided that Paul was to set sail for Italy and deliver Paul. And and there were other prisoners that came along with, of course, the Apostle Paul at the order of uh, the governor who was Festus at the time. Remember, it was uh, to Caesar that Paul appealed and to Caesar he will go. And it was time. He had uh, testified in a hearing before King Agrippa and Bernice and, and everyone else. So now it was time for Paul to set sail for Rome. And so he and other prisoners were put onto this ship, and they set sail for Rome. Uh, Paul was accompanied and guarded by the appointment of a centurion named Julius. Uh, Julius, as we read here, and it'll come about a little bit later, and we'll see that towards the end of this chapter, uh, that, that Julius was kind towards Paul. 
Um, the Lord gave uh, Paul favor in the eyes of this centurion. And so he treated him well. He even gave him liberty when they landed in Sidon. He was able to go spend some time with friends. Now, that's, uh, he, Paul was still a prisoner, and yet he was, imagine this, he was trusted enough to go with his friends and then come back to the ship. You see, Paul was not trying to escape prosecution. He had already escaped persecution. That is the condemnation eternally as he remained in sin. And so he was a free man. And everyone who heard them had the opportunity to be freed as well. He knew that his divine appointment awaited him in Rome. And so Julius allowed him to go with his friends and he came back to the ship. So there was this kindness, this relationship that was developed between Julius and Paul. Well, they continued the next day on a slow, again, and difficult voyage as the winds were unfavorable, which caused them to sail slowly and arrive at various ports with great difficulty, finally landing in a port called Fair Havens. Fair Havens is on the southern portion of Crete. Um, so you have the, the north of the island, you have east, you're traveling west. And so they were trying to find covers uh, from the island from, or from the elements by sailing under the island, and finally they couldn't go any, any farther, and they landed in Fair Havens. Now, a good captain knows the limitations of the ship, his crew, and his own experience, and will make decisions accordingly. Godly wisdom and discernment can only be practiced if you are aware of your surroundings, can interpret them, and make decisions that align with God's will, His Word. So that's why as we're aware of, of, of the, our surroundings, the situations that we find ourselves in, if we're able to interpret them correctly and then know how to apply God's Word, we can safely navigate through those troubled waters. Well, we have these slow and difficult waters or, you know, you have these times where the captain is sailing through these waters, but it's very difficult. The, the, the elements aren't favorable to sailing. And so they become dangerous. And that, that is what the Apostle Paul is discerning. Verse, verses 9 through 12, uh, we, we find that Paul is discerning that this is dangerous Continuing on, it says, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they were trying to reach the, you could say, the, the end of the island. They were wanting to go there. But it's at this point that Paul discerned that there was danger. If they leave the safety of the island, perhaps at this time, and in this season, more than likely... Paul was thinking, we're going to face tragedy. Not only the loss of the cargo, but also the loss of lives. So he was warning the centurion. In other words, he was saying, Let's, I know this is not a favorable port to you know, spend the winter here, but we ought to stay put. Now, the fast that's mentioned here gives us the time of year in which this was taking place. And it's thought that October 5th was the Day of Atonement, which is referring to the fast. And so therefore, it was late in the season, and storms, it's a season for storms. You know, here in the U.S., we know when, when, uh, when the season for hurricanes hit, hits the East Coast, right? And through the Gulf of Mexico. So we know by this that this was the season for storms in that area. And Paul knew that very well. Winter was approaching and it was not the time to sail, but time to harbor and wait for better conditions in order to set sail. 
in open water. The question is, who was Paul? You know, Paul, was he a sailor? Was he a fisherman? Then who is Paul to tell the centurion? Who, who is he? I mean, who would listen to Paul, right? You think about it. Aren't you a teacher of the law? You studied under Gamaliel, and you know, you, you've never been out here. But apparently he had. Would he perhaps know more than the captain? Well, <clears throat> here's his experience. He's been shipwrecked three times. Up to this point, he's been shipwrecked three times. One may know how to do something, but when you've experienced failure, you tend to learn how to discern when you're getting close to failing again. And godly wisdom will lead you away from that. You may not be an expert in a certain area, but you know how to read it. You know how to read when failure is quickly approaching. And when you apply that godly wisdom, you'll steer away from whatever it is that awaits you as far as destruction is concerned. And you being a good brother or sister in Christ will also warn others that danger is around the corner. Paul may not know how to sail, but he knew when it wasn't safe to sail. That he did know. You know, in 1 Kings 3.9, Solomon had asked God for understanding. In other words, he asked for discernment to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. We, not, we may not be experts in everything, but we ought to be able to discern between right and wrong. It's very simple. It, it really is simple. You know, there may be laws that come into place by the stroke of a pen. You know, there are certain things that are brought into law, which we've had done. That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's good. We don't simply just go along with it just because the United States of America has said it's lawful. When God's word very clearly states that it's unlawful to God. Before him, it opposes him, his word. Solomon asked for that discernment, that understanding, that wisdom. We ought to have that wisdom and discernment ourselves. Applying God's word. Obeying him over obeying man. If man is asking you to do something that is against God's word. You know, it would do us well like Solomon, to ask for the same thing. Paul's warning, though, at this moment was unheeded. They didn't listen to him. The centurion, he rather listened to the pilot, who was the captain of the ship, and to the owner of the ship. It kind of sounds familiar. There's this great big ship that was unsinkable. Slow down, slow down. Oh, we got it handled. There's nothing that can bring down the Titanic. We also see here that faith steadies the man in the storm. Verse 13, let's continue. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a, temp a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the, the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo and on the third day, they drew the ship's tackle overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Overwhelmed by the storm. This is where 
despondency sets in, when overwhelming circumstances endure for an extended period of time. We, we can lose heart. We can lose heart. Don't lose heart, though. But this is what we see here. The sailors were fooled with a gentle south wind. Oh, there it is. The Lord must be opening the doors for us to set sail. There is already a warning. Oh, it appears that we ought to go. Hey, cast off the aft line. Cast off the foreline. Pull up the anchor. Let's draw away from the port. Let's set sail. And they did that. But then, instead of having a south wind, they got a northeastern wind, and it blew them out into the middle of the open water. They were overwhelmed by a powerful storm. The sailors did everything they knew to not capsize. They tied everything down so as to not lose it overboard. Then they tied ropes from one side of the ship to the other. They're called belly bands. It's to hold the ship together so it won't explode and break up. Then they lowered the sails to better control the ship and may have even lowered the anchor to drag it a bit and give them some more control in these open waters that were tempestuous and tossing them from one side to another. I, I, these, these seas can be so violent that in a large ship, I've seen people break bones, get knocked out. I remember in the galley one day how it was that someone was tossed literally from one side of the galley, which is where you eat, the dining room, from one side and threw him all the way to the other and he broke his leg. And it's a long way across. I mean, we're talking probably from here to that wall. And just imagine getting tossed like that. And this is a big ship. It can get pretty violent out there. I remember the first time enduring a violent storm. It was in 93 as I was going out towards Hawaii. We were on this ship. And, it, and it's, again, it's a big ship. Uh, we're on the second deck uh, on the stern in the back. And that was where the dive locker was. And I remember opening up the hatch and seeing us go from, from being on top of this wave to going into it and seeing the sky disappear and water be above us. We were in the middle of the water from one wave to the next. That, that's how big the waves can get. Violent. Violent, violent, violent. Well, the seas were so violent that on the third day of the storm, they had to throw some of the cargo overboard, lightning up their load. And when many days had passed and there was no letting up of the storm, they had lost all hope of being saved. At that point, they were despondent. They thought, for sure, we're going to perish out here in the middle of the water. Their confidence in setting sail was no... I have no idea what I wrote there. What I write there, Stephen? Man, it, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes I'm distracted by my own writing. Anyway, their confidence was down to zero. <laughs> That's humility. That's, you know, you were talking about, about Ray, right? Where's Ray anyway? <laughs> I am looking at a tablet, but at least I'm not wearing a Padre shirt. <laughs> I had to, sorry. <laughs> Eric, will you forgive me? <laughs> oh, okay. Man, so I'm a distraction. Okay. <laughs> Father, get us back on track here. Their confidence was gone. Completely gone. They were, they were done. They were, they were without hope. Their, their hope, you could say at that point, is it's as if they had hit rocks already. As if the, the ship had blown up. There's nothing left. And they were still in the middle of the storm. They were themselves dashed to pieces. They had no strength, 
mentally. They had no strength emotionally. You ever found yourself in that place? I have, I have no strength. I've, I've come to the end of myself. I have no strength. Emotionally, I'm drained. Have you found yourself just, just tired? Even physically. Well, why is that? They trusted their hearts when godly discernment was warning of danger. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who, who can know these hearts? Their endurance had perished and their hope ended with and along with their, their strength. It just completely ended. It died. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 28. Isaiah 40 in verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word for wait, and I, and I point to it often. It says there in verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord. What's, what's another word for wait? Those who wait for the Lord. Not that you sit and just, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wait, and um, the Lord will be here soon to take me out of this situation. And What's another word for wait? Patience? Who said hope? It's that hope that, that will keep you there, unmoved, not shaken by circumstances. Even though you are found without strength, you'll still be there waiting for him because he is faithful, he is loyal, he is trustworthy. He is good for his word. His promises are good. That's what renews that strength. That's what refreshes your spirit. That's what gives you an enduring perseverance to continue to advance. Well, Paul had warned them, and yet for them, their hope had ended. Verse 21, a captain arises that is a discerning captain. Verse 21 says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. A discerning captain arises. There's one that is the official captain, but uh, one that's filled with faith kind of comes to the surface. Faith encourages and steadies the man. And we see evidence of this right now with the Apostle Paul in this very dangerous circumstance. When faith arises in the midst of hopelessness, it appears as a beacon, a lighthouse that warns, but also gives direction. You know, this is, it, it's ironic because we're talking all about the open sea and, and shipping. You know, there are some lights that are always on, on, on boats that are in the open water and ships. Uh, a green light means the right side or the starboard side. Red light means port side or the left side of the ship. Then we have lights in the, in the bow of the ship and the stern of the ship. That's why even with airplanes, you know if they're coming or going by those lights. It's the same thing. If you see a green light to the left, that means it's coming toward you. If you see it 
on the other side, it's going away from you. We have all of these things, but all of these lights give, give warning. Buoys out there with red lights are floating around, and they give you the channel through which you are to uh, sail through, ship through. And this is exactly what was happening with the Apostle Paul as he was filled with faith, not fear, and he was able to shine light on a discerning base or foundation of truth that they ought to walk through themselves and be encouraged by. Paul spoke at this time and they listened. Paul had been visited by an angel of God and he was told that he would get to Rome. You're going to go before Caesar. And by the way, I'm going to grant to you the lives of everyone who's on board this ship. So he was encouraging them with that. Now, in this process, though, Paul told them, we're going to run aground. And in other words, you're going to lose everything but your lives. We're going to land on some island. I don't know which one, but the ship's going to be lost, but you won't be lost. Every single one of you. So what Paul was communicating is don't fear. And that the impossible is possible with God and will take place just as God had said it would take place. Paul was the one with faith, and that faith was contagious. Even if it was just a little glimmer of hope, that's all that was necessary. When we cater to fear, guess what else is contagious? Fear. Fear is contagious too. But when you have one person, just one, just one, one that's filled with, fear, with uh, faith, one that's filled with faith and is willing to stand up and speak and warn, it's contagious. You have the power to express one or the other. Choose. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit that God has given to us. A spirit of faith, power, love, and self-control. When the discerning captain of faith takes the helm, hope regains its proper place, and confidence in God's word navigates even under seemingly impossible circumstances. That's what happens. Just stay consistent. Finally, let's, uh, let's hit the last portion here. In verse 27, remain in the ship and be saved. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for a day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the, from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Do not abandon your post. Faith doesn't give up. Do not abandon your post. These men, even after 14 days of being tossed around by this violent storm, under the leadership of a man of faith, they were all alert. Listen to this. They were all alert, each doing what they knew to do in order to discern when they were close to land. Everyone was needed. Every single person. There was someone who had to steer the ship, another one who had, had to keep up the ship, make sure it wasn't breaking up, put on another belly band so that, you know, we would have more strength. And there were others who were watching out for land, sounding the depths to see how deep the water was. And they discerned that they were close to land, but they couldn't see it. So they thought, and what's implied here as we continue to read is that this was either the storm was still upon them and they couldn't see the visibility was close to nothing or it was night. And so they let down the anchors 
which stopped them in the stern of the boat, which is the, the back part of the, the, the ship. And that way, although the water in the storm was, was pulling them towards land, at least that part was going to be facing the, the storm, and the front part of the ship would be facing the island, is what we have. And that's what they did. Now, there were some sailors, though, in the midst of this, that they were thinking, well, we'll, we'll go, and we'll, we're, we're going to do some work here, and we're going to let down the anchors in the bow of the ship. So, let down the lifeboats, and let us get to them. Well, that's not what they were doing. They wanted to get away. They were in it for themselves. They're like, in the midst of this, maybe perhaps we can make it to shore, and uh, hey, everyone else can fend for themselves. Well, that didn't work out. Paul discerned what they were doing and, and told them, he said that if they go, they will perish. But if they stay, they'll be alive. For God has told me that none would perish if they stay in the boat, if they stay put. Instead of abandoning your post because you think you're saving yourself, you're actually jeopardizing your own life and the life of others. Remember, faith doesn't give up. Don't be a quitter. There are too many people who quit when things get tough. God will help you through the storm, and you'll better, be better off for having gone through the storm. James 1, 2 through 4. Ladies, sisters, you are going through that study. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God will get you through the storms, and you'll be better off for having gone through it, putting your trust in the Lord. Don't give up. Man your post and do your job. Husbands and wives, don't give up. Stay the course. Students and teachers, don't give up. Workers and bosses, servants and ministry, parents and children, faith doesn't give up and doesn't compromise either. Stay in the boat and trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Well, they listened to the Apostle Paul. And the Roman soldiers cut away the ropes and the little boats drifted away. But notice with me one thing before we move on. Verse 29 says, And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for a day to come. What were they doing? They were praying. When you pray, you still have hope. You're seeking help. They had little hope, but they had hope. They went from despondency to having a little hope. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. This, this was, a, was an exercise in faith, by the way. 14 days, it wasn't assured that they would see land the next day. Remember, they prayed that uh, day would come. So they were just praying that they would make it through the night, uh, through that uh, time. And, uh, and yet, they took that food, they took that sustenance, and what did they do with the rest of it? Off the side and into the water. It was an exercise of faith. Discern needs and circumstances, we need to reason. These needs and the circumstances, was, they had fasted for 14 days, not because they wanted to, but because they had need to. They were too busy. They were doing the work. Can you imagine fasting for 14 days? We fasted for a whole six days, and, and we were like, oh. <laughs> Sometimes we find ourselves, you know, with headaches, and I have no energy, and 
What am I going to do? Right? These guys, for 14 days, that was tough work. I with little to no sleep whatsoever. They just kept going round the clock. Just kept, kept going. And Paul said, hey, listen, you need to eat. Take some food. And, and I'm going to start it off here. He broke bread, gave thanks to the Lord. And, and uh, so he was an example of someone who was still expressing hope and faith in the Lord. And by that, the other sailors also did the same thing, took of that food and even expressed enough faith. Because Paul couldn't have done it by himself. He was not the one that was tossing the food off the side of the, the ship. They were too. So they were expressing a faith now. They went from despondency to a little hope to even expressing faith. Think about that. Mm. The, the, the impact that one person with faith can have. All it was, it was just Paul. But it wasn't Paul, was it? It was his faith in his God. Verse 39 now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with the beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the, the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Brought to land. God's word is true. Their prayers were answered. The day not only came, but they were close to land. So when they cast off the anchors, that means that they, uh, they didn't draw them up. This was it. They were going in. All or nothing. This is God's word. He said we would go to land. It's right before us. Come what may, the anchors that we can find safety in are gone. We're drifting. We're going in. Well, they ran aground. They got stuck. So they were at the mercy of the powerful sea. And as it was hitting the ship over and over and over again, they started to see it break up. Some could swim and others could not swim. They weren't able to swim. And so those who were able to swim, they jumped overboard and they swam to the beach. Others who could not swim, well, hold onto a plank, a piece of wood, and just float in. Or maybe someone that knows how to swim can bring you in. And that's what happened. And all of them were spared. All of them. Just as God's word said it would happen. But we know that initially the soldiers were wanting to kill all the prisoners. Because, you know, you let a prisoner go and it, it was their lives, life if you have someone escape. But, the, but it was a centurion for the sake of Paul. Listen to this. Again, this is, this is the impact that one life can have. Think about this. Remember I said at the beginning as we read that there was favor that was given to the Apostle Paul in the eyes of this centurion, Julius. And now this same centurion is saying, no, do not touch any of the prisoners for the sake of Paul. All of them were spared because the centurion had compassion over Paul. What influence we can have over many if we just stand with the Lord with unshakable faith. God's word to Paul was fulfilled. God's word never fails. Jesus will always get you through the storm. He is with you. Do not despair of life. Your life is secure in Christ. And he will never fail you. C.H. Spurgeon once more says, quote, If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. 
If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Close quote. We saw evidence of both as we went through this chapter. The one who has no faith and the one with complete faith. One persevered and helped others through the storm. The others would have perished if left to their unbelief. Which one are you? Stay in the boat and trust God through the storm. Jesus is with you, and he will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, I I do pray that we would express, exemplify the same kind of faith that Paul did. Lord, this was a a very real storm, one that is known by sailors if they've sailed for any length of time in open waters. And yet it was this man that you used. Not only, Lord, were you faithful to deliver him, as we'll see in the next chapter, to Rome. Lord, but you were faithful to your word, having told Paul that all these men would be given to the Apostle Paul and none would perish. So, Lord, strengthen our faith. Build us up. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we don't know an eternal hope. I pray that today would be the day of salvation as we confess our sins and crying out to Jesus as Lord and Savior, repenting from our sins, turning from them and turning to Christ. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. But Lord, that's for the believer, for the unbeliever. If we simply confess our belief in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and three days later rose from the grave, and ask him to be Lord and Savior, your word tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, that if anyone needs to recommit their lives to Christ this morning, that today, this moment would be the time in which they express that belief and recommitment to you. If it's a first time surrender of their lives, Lord, I pray that they would do so now, knowing that you desire to to forgive them of all of their sins and assure them of a place in heaven in all of your glory because of the faith that they've placed in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you once more. We thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.